The Democratic Party has had a lot to freak out about over the past several weeks from the failed impeachment process, Donald Trump's skyrocketing approval rating, a booming economy, Pelosi's major screw up by tearing up Trump's speech, Democrats quitting the party, and now this. Bernie Sanders' resounding victory in Nevada, sweeping up everything and once again reclaiming the top spot as the predicted nominee for the Democratic National Convention. You see, for a, for a second there, they thought it was going into a contested convention, meaning Bloomberg had a chance to steal the nomination because Bernie wouldn't cross the delegate threshold. Well, of course, Bernie Sanders just proved he can actually win. So the Democratic establishment's panic has reached absolute absurdity from bad to worse would be an understatement. Now, of course, if you're a Bernie Sanders supporter, you're happy. I'm talking about the D.C. establishment elites, the swamp. They are freaking out. And I got to admit, it is kind of funny because with Bernie Sanders victory, Donald Trump actually congratulated him and said, I hope he I hope they play fair. He's got a lot of winning to do. But what is the rest of the media and the Democratic establishment saying? This is the end. Oh, but it gets better. I am seriously looking forward to later in the year after the nomination process and Bernie's victory, when the never Trumpers come crawling back to Donald Trump, looking up and saying, save us. And Donald Trump looking down and whispering, no, these people are the absolute slime of D.C., They have no real principles. They are the elites who think they're smarter than you and everyone else. And they spend all this time screeching about Trump when they should have been watching the ranks of their own party. And they didn't do it. You know, they were so confident in how they stole it from Bernie in 2016. You think they would have been more concerned about themselves because every single scandal and attempt to shut down Trump has made him stronger. In the meantime, the insurgent party, the progressives and the far left have been making gains and taking over and the establishment elites are in free fall. Joe Biden, their saving grace, coming in at a narrow second place in Virginia, but scoring nothing else. Pete Buttigieg, who is actually doing better than Bernie, now not doing so well, actually sent a letter saying, hey, this wasn't fair. There was something weird going on in Nevada. Oh, the poor establishment candidates are losing. And now we can see over at 538, Bernie Sanders has reclaimed the stop to the top spot with a one in two chance of being the Democratic nominee. Now, listen, I got my, my concerns and complaints with Bernie over his policies, but I think one thing everyone can agree on, so long as you're not one of these crony establishment weirdos, is that if people choose Bernie Sanders, he is the choice of the people. I said it with Donald Trump. Don't got to like the guy, but he got to like the president. Hey, that's the game we all play. If it's Bernie Sanders, I'll say the same thing for all of my disagreements with either of them. The D.C. elite wants to cheat, and that's why they're freaking out. But wait, just let me show you how glorious it really is. Now, of course, here, I, you can see this on the screen. For those that are listening, I'll explain. Bernie Sanders is now projected by 538 to win. Take it for what it is. I don't think, you know, 538, it changes frequently. But before I show you just how bad it's true, well, actually, no, I'll show you how bad it's truly getting. But I want to mention that right wing populists are rooting for Bernie Sanders, even Steve Bannon saying he likes the guy, just thinks he got the wrong solution to the problems. There there is a united front to a certain degree. I mean, as much as the Bernie camp and the Trump camp kind of hate each other, at least they can all agree they hate the establishment elites, the never Trumpers and the DNC much more than each other. I actually actually I hope. But let's read this story from Fox News as some Democrats are freaking out at prospects that Sanders could win the nomination. 
Before we get started, head over to TimCast.com donate. If you would like to support my work, the best thing you can do is share this video because it really does help break echo chambers and it helps me grow my channel considering YouTube is doing everything they can to hurt political commentary. But I did notice a lot of you haven't subscribed. Actually, it's a lot, like more than my actual viewers. Most people haven't subscribed. So if you do like this, it really does help. Click the subscribe button, click the notification bell, and then you will be sure to get my videos when they do come up. As I mentioned, YouTube's actually suppressing political commentary. Let's first read a preliminary bit from Fox News. And I know you may say, but Tim, Fox News is biased. They are. But this is legit. Democrat, I'm going to show you the freak out. I'm sorry. I find it really hilarious. But let's read. Fox News says, Democrats are freaking out at prospects that Senator Bernie Sanders, independent of Vermont, could win the Democratic nomination. They worry about how Sanders matches up against President Trump. In fact, whether you're a Trump supporter or a Bernie supporter, the polls show that Bernie is favored. And in, in, in a lot of polls show that. Let's just be real. They fret that Sanders socialism could inhibit his ability to woo swing voters, those in rural areas, the upper Midwest, and conservative Democrats generally. They don't think Sanders can defeat the president if he's the Democratic standard bearer. Now, I'm, I must admit, I agree with them. I don't think Bernie Sanders is going to win. I think Trump will end up mopping the floor. And I do think the Democrats' best bet is a moderate. I also think if the Democratic voters want Bernie Sanders to be their nominee, so be it. That's supposed to be how the Democratic institution works. It's a we have a republic. We elect representatives through a democratic process. And just because you or I think someone else would do better doesn't mean we get to change the rules or break the rules. It means the people have spoken. Bernie wins. If the Bernie supporters think they've got what what it takes to take on Trump, If the Democratic voters think that too, so be it. We will see who wins in November. They say many liberals embrace Sanders, but the concern about Sanders is palpable among freshman Democrats who represent battleground districts or are from swing states. It's bad, said one freshman Democrat from a swing district. We are having conversations about how to deal with this. If Sanders is the nominee, we lose, said one Democrat. I agree with you, one Democrat. That lawmaker indicated that a Sanders primary would would cost Democrats their state in the fall. The lawmaker suggested that many voters could leave the top of the ticket blank. Two other vulnerable Democrats indicated that Sanders nomination would almost certainly cede their states to President Trump to say nothing of the impact on races uh, down the ballot for Democratic House and Senate candidates. One Democrat said they would try to hyper focus on local issues to serve as a counterbalance. But the lawmaker conceded it's hard to compete with the Sanders narrative and the reverberations of impeachment. Yeah, the impeachment was your fault. You know what? You've reaped what you have. You, you, you are reaping what you have sown. I saw a funny tweet. They said the Democrats can stop Bernie by traveling back in time and voting against wars and the crony capital establishment, banker ballots, etc. There you go, man. You had every opportunity to reject impeachment and you voted for it. Aw, poor babies. Quote, I think that Sanders can be challenging in parts of the country that we have to win in order to win the presidency, said Michael Bennett of Colorado, who recently gave up on his own presidential bid. We have to win Pennsylvania. If we lose there, it's over. I I live in the in the Philly suburbs. And I got to tell you, from what I've been hearing from my neighbors, I know it's anecdotal. I think it's over. I think there, there are people I've talked to. Okay, listen, I live in the Philadelphia suburbs. I'm like 15 minutes out of the city. And I talk to people frequently who say they didn't vote for Trump in 2016. They are going to this time around. And it's partly because of the Trump derangement syndrome. Maybe that was the point. 
You know, we've already heard from the media that many Democratic elites would prefer Trump over Sanders and Bernie supporters agree. The Democratic establishment would rather lose this fight than give up their party to Bernie. So maybe everything they've done to help Trump was on purpose. I know probably not. They're just inept. But hey, maybe, right? What's unclear is how Democrats are starting to grapple with the Sanders scenario. When asked if Democrats would actively try to block Sanders or try to spin things in such a way to remain viable, lawmakers offered no specifics. We're just starting, said one Democrat. A House Democrat from a swing state who does not represent a competitive district argued it didn't matter who the Democratic nominee was. This lawmaker said that concern about President Trump was so overwhelming in their state that voters were willing to support anyone else besides the president, even Sanders. I don't believe it. We'll see. As the alarm bells sound among Democrats, other Democrat sources note the party has only allocated a tiny percentage of delegates. So they're at the, uh, the denial step, right, of, of you know, what, what comes soon. We'll get to the bargaining step and then anger. It's still so early. We just have to win. Now, it is true. It is. They have, I think, like 1.7% of the delegates are out. It's like a really, really small number. But the projections for, for Sanders are really, really good based on polls, how the polls are associating with Sanders victories. Super Tuesdays in about a week. Things are going to get nuts. Maybe, maybe by then. Everything I'm saying here is wrong. Bloomberg takes the lead or some other nonsense. But hey, we'll see. Some Republicans are practically euphoric at the prospects of Sanders nabbing the Democratic nomination. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy took pains to stoke the anxiety which rattles moderate Democrats and independents, the very voters they try to court. Think about Sanders' cabinet, said McCarthy. AOC, Tlaib, Omar, (laughs) yikes. Three of four members of the squad uh, all support Sanders for president. Um, And then Ayanna Presley endorsed Elizabeth Warren. Multiple Democrats who could face challenging races this fall declined to speak on the record about Sanders and what the impacts of impeachment mean for their candidates. Fox is told no formal warning went out to vulnerable Democrats to watch what they say to the press or to avoid the press altogether. But some Democrats approached by Fox and other news organizations were reticent or uncomfortable with the topic. Two freshman Democrats who flipped seats from Republican to Democrat control in 2018 declined to engage a clutch of reporters just off the House floor. An aggressive aide for McBath ran interference for the congresswoman while she waited for an elevator. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi tried to quash worry over Sanders and the Democratic field in general. I can hear you say, oh, we're all in panic. The establishment Democrats. I'm like, is there some establishment that I don't know about around here, said Pelosi. It's a messy business, but this is so. We are calm, we are cool, we are collected. No, 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 I'm sorry. Based on everything I've seen, Pelosi's response shows me that she is oblivious to the chaos unfolding around her. And let me, let me show you her exact statement replicated by none other than never Trumper Bill Kristol when he responded to Bernie's sweeping victory with the dog in the burning building saying, this is fine. That's you, Nancy Pelosi. Bill Crystal. I don't know what you're going to do. I'm, I'm really excited to see all these never Trumpers literally crawl back to Trump saying we were wrong. We're so sorry. We don't want a socialist. Aw, too bad. Y'all had your chance, but I'm sure Trump will accept any vote from anyone he can get. Personally, I think Bernie Sanders can't win, but I don't think that matters. What I think matters is that the people who are voting in the primary choose who they want to be. And if it's Sanders, then so be it. And Bernie supporters should be completely on board with all of it because they think the victory is theirs. Trump thinks, you know, he thinks the victory is his. And there we go. It's the way it's supposed to be. We'll come to November and then we'll see the votes come in and we'll see who is truly correct. And I think that's why we can see 
Donald Trump congratulates Bernie Sanders. Of course, he thinks he's going to win. But I think it's also true to point out Steve Bannon, who helped Trump win in the first place, and many right wing populists really are rooting for Bernie Sanders. I mean, it's yes, they think they're going to win. So of course, they're looking at it like, hey, it'll be good for us, right? But I really do find sincerity in many of the statements from high profile Trump supporters when they say Bernie has every right to run for all of his good ideas or bad ideas or whatever you want to say, the DNC cheats. Donald Trump said, so I think it was a great win for Bernie Sanders. We'll see how it all turns out. They've got a lot of winning to do. I hope they treat him fairly. Now, of course, the media recently smeared Bernie Sanders with the same old garbage gutter smear of Russia Gate that they used against Trump and Tulsi and now Bernie. And of course, the Bernie Sanders supporters said buzz off with it. I wish more Bernie voters recognized that the same smear is against Trump. It's fake news, by the way. Of course, there are some hope high profile individuals who did mention that. But now let me bring I'm going to bring you to the absolute state of the Democratic Party. James Carville rips DNC as Bernie Sanders wins Nevada, one of the truly stupid parties in the world. Politically, you're a fool. James Carville is a high profile Democratic strategist, and he has been screeching nonstop. It's kind of funny watching the establishment just freak out and like foam at the mouth. This dude literally said he thought it was the end of days. He said, this is the end of days. If Bernie gets the nomination, ah, ah. <laughs> so, so sad. CNN guest says the only clear 2020 winner so far is Putin. Oh, man. You know what? Look, you wanted to smear all of them as Russian assets. I'm happy they're winning. Sure, Putin, whatever you say. Then we have this one. Carville says that Nevada caucuses are going very well for Vladimir Putin. I love it. I absolutely love it. Now, here's, here's where it gets interesting in the whole Russiagate smear. But the Democrat, with, with the Russiagate smear of Trump, I, I, I wonder what the strategy was. It ultimately, ultimately ended up helping Trump in a lot of ways. Now, Trump is accusing Adam Schiff of leaking information that Russia was helping Bernie Sanders. Adam Schiff denies it. Of course he does. But I'm curious. The Democratic establishment is absolutely freaking out. We saw James Carville. That dude said the world is ending. He said the end of days is here. And apparently Donald Trump is upset that no one briefed him on Russian election interference to help Bernie Sanders. The story just got leaked to the press and then it made Bernie look bad. And now the cronies are coming on CNN and MSNBC saying the end is nigh and Bernie is being propped up by Putin. You know what, you guys? You need some consultants to actually help you understand why the Russia smear doesn't work. You're insane. You sound insane to most Americans and it doesn't make sense. But Trump thinks it was Schiff. Schiff says it wasn't him. You know, if I if I had to make a bet, if I've had to make a bet, I'm not so certain Schiff leaked this information, but I'd probably lean towards betting he did or something to that effect. Trump is angry. He should have been told about it. And then and this brings me to Bernie Sanders team talking about news coverage. I think the establishment elites, people like Schiff absolutely are coming out against Bernie Sanders, or at least secretly. This story from Vanity Fair, Fox has been more fair why Bernie's team has had it with MSNBC. The liberal network's talk of digital brown shirts and Fidel Castro admiration as Sanders world seeing red. More like MSDNC, says Glenn Greenwald. Donald Trump says the same thing. MSDNC, making a joke about the Democratic establishment. 
and they're coming for Bernie all the same. You, I, I don't know if you guys saw the, 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 the just lunatic meltdown that occurred on, on MSNBC with, with Chris Matthews saying it was like the invasion of France in 1940. They lost it. I'll tell you what, the other day when I was watching the, the caucus and Bernie Sanders won, Brett Bayer, Brett Bayer's a good dude on Fox News. He is, he is a, he's a, he is a, he's a good anchor. He's very straight, you know, uh, straightforward, not very heavy on opinions, bringing up good points. And he was fair to Bernie Sanders. Fox absolutely has guests who will rag on Sanders for being a socialist or whatever. But I'll tell you what, Fox News isn't super concerned about who the Democrats pick. Of course, you can argue that conservatives want Bernie because they think they'll win. And the Democratic establishment agrees. I happen to agree as well. So it's, it's fair to say that Republicans are like, prop, you know, are saying, hey, hey, you know, prop up Bernie because it's good for them. But Fox, they don't have a hard, you know, a lot of skin in the game when it comes to the primary itself. So they're being more fair to Bernie Sanders. They gave Bernie a town hall, I believe also with Brett Bayer. MS, MSDNC, on the other hand, has been a nightmare of insane conspiracy trash, screeching Putin and all this other, other insane lunacy. Now, I want you to remember that guy, Jonathan Chait, who claimed Donald Trump was a Russian asset since the 1980s. MSNBC, MSNBC, is it MS, MSDNC? They had this guy on and actually said, well, you know, maybe it's not true, but, and then he tries arguing Trump is an asset of Russia. Of course, the same guy is going to come out with this story. Running Sanders against Trump would be an act of insanity. Well, I'll tell you what, man, you get no sympathy from me. I agree Bernie can't win, but I also think, hey, in America, people choose their nominee and they go up against each other. I think Bernie will lose. So be it. But I want to see a fair fight. And I think a lot of Bernie Sanders supporters would rather see a fair loss than a crony DNC cheated victory. Now, I think some people might be extremists and want Bernie to win by any means necessary for sure. But I think there's a lot of regular people who would say, well, you know what? We, we tried our best. I do think there are a lot of people on Sanders side, though, who probably wouldn't accept it. They'll probably go out and do some nasty stuff when they lose. But I'll tell you what, it's not just about the DNC. It's about the never Trumpers and the establishment. This one I love so much from the Financial Times. Lloyd Blankfein, quote, I might find it harder to vote for Bernie than for Trump. The former Goldman chief executive on the crash, the criticism and the sparring with Bernie Sanders. Let me be probably not the first, but a loud voice and saying, I don't care what you think and who you're going to vote for, Blankfein of Goldman Sachs. I really, really don't care. My bigger concern is whether or not the the people running for office have the interest of the American people at heart, whether they can relate to them and solve their problems and will bring about a net benefit to the people, you know, the members of our community. I don't care what Goldman Sachs has to say. I really don't. I am sick and tired of the Hillary Clinton type DNC establishment giving $100,000 speeches, enriching themselves off the office and laughing the whole time. Because I'll tell you who these people are. They want they, they look up at the ivory tower. They want to sit inside. They want the keys to the castle. And they have no interest in doing right by the people down there looking up saying, please help us. I think Donald Trump was the bull who came crashing through. And it turns out the economy is actually doing well underneath him. Well, Bernie Sanders is back at the doors and he's kicked the door and he's walking up. Will he make it to the top? I don't think so. I think the bull is still there and he's going to push him back. But maybe someone in Sanders camp might actually come around in 2024. I still kind of don't think so. But I'd much prefer the people 
the populists, those who actually believe in the American people and want to find solutions, be it right or wrong. It's the, it's the honest intentions. I don't think Bernie is perfect. I actually don't trust him a whole lot. I can't say a whole lot for Trump either, except for the economy is doing well. So I'll tell you this, whoever you think is better, Trump's got four years of a good economy behind him to prove his position. And I think they will end up giving it to him. But let me show you some of the, 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 absolute, the absolute state of the never Trumpers. Bill Kristol's reaction, as I showed you earlier, to Bernie Sanders winning the uh, Nevada caucus was the dog in the room on fire saying, me now. Yeah. How long do you think until these guys come back and say, okay, okay, fine, I'll vote for Trump? Because look, while I don't care about Lloyd Blankfein's opinion, it shows you that these, these establishment types are like begrudgingly rolling their eyes saying, fine, I guess Trump. This one I love. Joe Walsh saying, I would vote for socialism over authoritarianism. That's like saying I would eat vanilla ice cream instead of eating vanilla ice cream. Sorry, bro. Socialism is authoritarian, like almost entirely. You have to force people to give up their labor. They say democratic socialism, but no, it's just oppression by the majority. It doesn't work out that way. The left, the left libertarian quadrant of the compass is a very difficult position to maintain. And that's why typically the arguments fall on authoritarian left versus libertarian right. What you're saying makes no sense. It just shows that you've completely lost the plot. Bill Crystal, reminder, all Nevadans can participate today, posted this image in the morning saying the Republican Party has been taken over by extremists. Don't let it happen to you too. And then, well, I guess too bad it happened. The Never Trumpers, they're going to come crawling back as far as I can tell. I, I find myself rather shocked to be in agreement with media matters of all organizations. They are the left-wing smear machine, but they say that basically the never Trumpers are a fringe faction that no one cares about. Here's what it says. The continued elevation of never Trumpers hasn't seemed to have had much of an effect on Republicans, leaving them to armchair quarterback their way through the Democratic Party. What, what, what sheer absurdity. It's true. The never Trumpers are the establishment elites. These were the people in the Republican Party gloating and laughing, sipping, the, you know, sipping their tea in the ivory tower, the DNC elites. Trump kicked them out. They've been homeless for a few years, begging the DNC establishments, we'll say whatever you want. Trump's oh so bad. But now the DNC elites have lost control and Sanders is marching up and they're screeching. What are they going to do? Vote for a socialist? I really, really doubt it. Bernie Sanders said in the debate stage that Denmark is a good example. Oh, I, th- I think we should live like Denmark. Denmark's not socialist. And no one will call him out for it. So you know what? You all deserve it. You absolutely deserve these politicians. If you don't have the ability, the talent, the wherewithal to call out Bernie when he says something incorrect, then you don't deserve to win. When asked about socialism and whether Americans would support socialism, Bernie said, I think we should live like Denmark, a country of a few million people that is not even socialist. It's a capitalist market economy with a welfare state. Democratic socialism is not that. That's why socialism comes afterwards, democratic being the qualifier. They're basically saying that you would vote to abolish the means of production as opposed to all other socialism, which result, which was the result of a massive revolution. And then, you know, atrocities. With democratic socialism under Bernie Sanders, you vote away your right to labor to the state. The means of production will be seized by the state, but you voted for it. It's not a real big difference. All of these people are going to get what they absolutely deserve. But I will leave the Trump supporters with a warning. 
As much as I can say, I think Bernie Sanders will lose. Clint Eastwood recently flipped. He's saying he's for Bloomberg now. You know why? Because Trump's got a potty mouth. Listen, I have talked about how Donald Trump's demeanor and behavior is a negative on, on, for me. And it's a reason why I wouldn't want to vote for him. And a lot of people said, so what? What does how you feel about the president have to do with the job they do? It's a good point. I respect it. Absolutely. The economy is really, really great. Many people will pr- say that it's, it's better we have a good economy and a, and, a, and a nasty dude than someone who's polite, but really bad at their job. But when I tell you this, it's not because I'm saying that, you know, it's the biggest issue in the world. I'm telling you this because other think it might, other people think it might be. And you're losing Clint Eastwood. You got you to recognize that he's high profile and speaks his mind. There are a lot of people who are going to walk away from Trump. Or I, I shouldn't say that because I think the, you know, the Trump people, for the most part, will stand by him. But some people will actually say, you know what? Bernie's a populist. He agrees with me on these core important issues that I, I care about. I'm going to go with him. Now, Bloomberg is not, you know, this, this savvy speaker like Clint Eastwood is saying. He's wrong. I certainly think Bloomberg is substantially worse than Trump would ever be. But the warning I'm leaving you with is, make no mistake, Trump's, one of his biggest pitfalls is his attitude. Now, I know people love hearing him push back on political correctness, but you can do that without tweeting incessantly and, and, and being as nasty as he's been in insulting people and, and, and you know, imitating the body slam of the reporter. It's going to hurt you. It might not hurt him enough. It might not be a big deal, but I think you absolutely need to take this into consideration that although you are confident you can beat Bernie, hubris will be your downfall. And I think it's funny. I've had Trump supporters say, Tim, you're wrong. Trump is going to win. He'll crush Bernie. Okay, keep thinking that. Just like Hillary Clinton did. Never underestimate your opponent. Go read some Sun Tzu. Take it seriously. You win when you are determined, focused, and do not underestimate your rivals. One of the biggest mistakes you'll make. Bernie Sanders, I believe, could be a formidable opponent. I do kind of lean towards we're looking at a McGovern situation with Trump sweeping the field. And that's where the Democrats are in total panic mode. I could be wrong about that. And I think it's always better, regardless if you're a Bernie supporter or a Trump supporter, do not underestimate your opponent. I'll leave it there. Stick around. Next video is coming up at 6 p.m. at youtube.com slash timcastnews. It is a different channel, and I will see you all then. Last night, Bernie Sanders swept Nevada clean. I mean, they called it for him with like 4% of the delegate count. The landslide was so massive. Bernie mopped the floor with the other Democrats. Bernie's not really a Democrat. He's an independent. He's a socialist. He has no idea what he's talking about. But hey, I can criticize Bernie a lot. But you know what I absolutely love more than anything? The tears streaking down the faces of all of these ivory tower elite media pundits who are crying that their crony establishment is falling apart. Ah, oh, poor babies. Chris Matthews is in full on panic. People are, what, what did he do? He compared it to the Nazi invasion of France. Aw, oh, did Bernie Sanders win? You poor babies. You know, it's the craziest thing about this. MSNBC is supposed to be the, like, the epitome of orange man bad TV. Yet you tur- and, and, and you turn on MSNBC to watch this. And there was one tweet I saw. It was, it was so glorious. They were like, on MSNBC, you'd think there had been a terrorist attack. You turn on Fox News and they're having a calm, rational discussion about the state of America, the American voter, how they feel about Bernie Sanders. I want to re- show you this story. I got a couple stories about uh, <laughs> MSNBC's complete and utter meltdown over Bernie's victory. But I want to make sure all those Trump supporters get a warning. 
I think Bernie, Bernie, it's hard to say, is he the real contender? Is he the real challenge for Donald Trump? And I think, yes, personally, I don't think he can win. But Matt Walsh of the Daily Wire made a a few tweets this morning warning Trump supporters that if you think you're going to walk away from this fight unscathed, you got nothing coming. And I'll read his tweet. He makes a really, really good point. So much of what Donald Trump is today is very much so what Hillary Clinton was. Now, I know many Trump supporters are harumph, right? Oh, harumph, how dare you? No, 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 hold on, listen. Trump is despised by a lot of people. Whether you want to hear it or not, it's true. And you can blame whoever you want. You can blame Trump or you can blame the media, but it's a fact. And if people think Bernie Sanders is, is better, then maybe they'll simply vote against Trump just because you know, policy be damned. Now, I, I, I don't feel that way. I got to be honest. I think the economy is really great. And I think what, what Matt Walsh misses is that while there may be some people who hate Trump, you look at the reaction from MSNBC and Chris Matthews panicking about, like he literally was saying last week that people would be lined up in Central Park and shot if the socialists had won. The people in this country, older people who vote way more than younger people, they're probably sweating bullets at the prospect of a Bernie Sanders victory. You see, the thing is, and we'll go through this in a second, the people who are cheering for Bernie, who are coming out in a caucus to vote, there are a lot of young people, not, not, not all young people, but a lot of younger people. And it's not so much the young generation. I'm not talking about millennials or teenagers. I'm talking about even Gen Xers and maybe some boomers who either haven't really seen the full ramifications of socialism, who are being swayed by the Pied Piper that is Bernie Sanders, or generally just, you know, these younger people didn't live through the horrors of socialist history. So a lot of older people did. Chris Matthews, for instance, that's why he's freaking out. Me, I don't know. I'll tell you what, man. I'm a kind of go with the flow kind of person. Trump won. I laughed. Bernie wins. I laugh. I love it. The crony establishment freaking out and crying about what the people are voting for. Just it sustains me. My, my disdain is almost exclusively for the media. If you haven't figured, it, figured this out by now. So when I see Donald Trump win, I shrug. I'm like, tell me, tell, give me some proof as to why he's like the worst person ever. Same is true for Bernie. Now, there are things I disagree with Bernie Sanders on domestic policy, for instance. And I'll tell you what, what's, I'll ask you this. What's Bernie Sanders foreign policy? I honestly have no idea. I, I, I have no idea. So well, I'm not going to get behind that guy. But I, hey, if people vote for him, that's how, that's how this country works. And there was, there was a, there's, there's a funny quote. I can't remember who said it, but someone on MSNBC, I think this was MSNBC, literally said, I don't know what the American people think anymore. And there you have it. So maybe if you stopped screeching about Donald Trump and asked yourself why he won, you wouldn't be in this mess. But you never did. You said Russia, 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 50 billion times. And we all said, stop. And what was Bernie Sanders saying? I'm going to get you health care. I'm going to help your families. I'm going to help the working people of this country. And Bernie was shopping it like dress for less flying. You know, well, to be fair, he was flying first class. But Bernie was actually trying to rally people. It's true for other candidates, but the media wasn't paying attention. These MSNBC, especially what they used to have, it's falling apart. They are the ivory tower elites of urban centers that do not represent anybody. Really? Who do you really represent? Because young people in New York want Bernie Sanders. I'll say this. Donald Trump is likely going to win. But let's read, and then we'll talk about the fears that some conservatives have over the hubris of Trump supporters. MSNBC melts down as Bernie Sanders projected to win Nevada caucuses. Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders looks to be the winner of the Nevada caucuses. 
And MSNBC pundits don't seem to be thrilled by the news. Sanders and MSNBC have been at odds before with the candidate and his supporters often accusing the network of being anti-Sanders. Oh, and anti-Yang and anti-Tulsi. We get it. In fact, Sanders reportedly personally confronted MSNBC president Phil Griffin over the alleged unfair coverage of his campaign. MSNBC's coverage of the Nevada caucuses Saturday may not help mend any fences. Sanders supporters supporters tweeted several video clips from MSNBC's on-air coverage, allegedly showing anti-Sanders bias. Chris Matthews compared Sanders' electoral success to France's fall to Nazi Germany in World War II. I love it. They came after Trump calling him a Nazi. They came after Trump calling him a Russian asset. They're doing the same thing to Bernie. Okay, I get it. They're not calling him overtly a Nazi, but they're trying to insinuate that's how bad it really is. Listen, man, if you're a Trump supporter, you're a Bernie supporter, I'll tell you this. I'm fairly ambivalent on a lot of, the, on a lot of policies. Now, Bernie, I'm at odds with because, you know, you know, one thing I'm really tired of hearing is that Bernie is consistent. He is not consistent. I'm sick of hearing this. Joe Rogan said it. And it's like this, this thing that gets repeated over and over again, but it was true in 2016 and it is not true today. Bernie Sanders has flipped hard on a lot of policies, particularly immigration. He used to say that low wage workers crossing the border and coming to the country illegally was depressing wages. Hey, that was a very Trumpian, you know, uh, very Trumpian policy idea. And so, and so they went after him for it. And now he's falling in line with the Democratic activist base because he wants to win. Maybe, may, look, look, I'll tell you what, whether you agree or disagree with Bernie on his border policy, on his CBP ICE policy, he wants to break him up. That's not the point. The point is stop pretending like Bernie Sanders didn't flip. And if you're a Bernie supporter, you might be saying, yeah, well, his position is better now. Hey, I'm not arguing with you. I'm just saying, stop saying he's consistent when he changed his policy over the past several years. That's enough for me just to be honest about who your candidate is and what they're doing. Look, I, I'll, I'll tell you this. If Bernie ends up winning the nomination, I'm not going to cry about it. If Bloomberg wins the nomination, you might see me starting to freak out because I'll tell you what, man, the American people of the Democratic Party who have chosen Bernie Sanders have every right to do so. That is how this country was supposed to work for better or for worse. I say the same thing about Donald Trump for better or for worse. He is your president. Accept it. And if you got a problem with it, you play the same. You play by the same rules. You play fair. You go to vote and you vote for someone else. Stop crying and screaming Russia. And this is what really bothers me. Bernie, Bernie, Bernie people. What bothers me is that the media was smearing Trump nonstop, relentlessly. And instead of coming out, and calling out the media, you joined in. Not everybody. I know there's a lot of really cool people. I'm not trying to call out literally everyone. I'm just saying too many Bernie people gave up the opportunity to slam people like MSNBC. When Rachel Maddow comes on the TV every night screaming, Russia, bah. now they're doing it to Bernie. Shut them down, man. Bernie and Trump people come together. Shut this nonsense down. You want to have an argument over Medicare for all versus Trump's, you know, whatever it is he's doing. You don't have an argument over Trump's building a wall and Bernie saying decriminalize border crossings. It's a conversation we should have. Both sides seem to think that that they have the winning faction on their side. That's great. That's what the, that's how it's supposed to be. That's that's like ideal. I, the idealistic version of our, our, our represent, rep, uh, representative democratic process. You know, you're like, I'm right. No, I'm right. OK, here we go. Bring it to the ballot box. But the establishment elites of the DNC and the media have been like, instead of actually, tra- and you know, instead of actually 
arguing over policies. What have the crony uh, uh, Democrats done? They've waged a scandal war against Donald Trump. And, wh- and what has the media done with Bernie Sanders? They're, they're, they're starting to get more heavy handed as they realize the panic is setting in, but they cheated him in 2016. There was no debate between the two sides. Of course, I think Trump would win because I think Bernie's, you know, his policies are too far left, but I could be wrong. And I'm absolutely willing to put willing to put my money where my mouth is. And if the Democratic voters say, Bernie, I say, hey, man, more power to you guys. Bravo. The media won't allow. Let's read more. Uh, here's one. It's pretty much over. And then they say Chris Matthews goes, goes on to compare Bernie winning to the fall of France in 1940. It's insane. Matthews also wondered on air if it would be better for moderate Democrats if Sanders didn't win in the general election. Mask off, Owen Higgins says. Chris Matthews suggests Democratic establishment better off with four more years of Trump than Sanders' movement reshaping the party. And there you have it. For years, these media morons were screeching about Trump. And now they're saying, wait, wait, wait. It's going to be one of the funniest things I've ever experienced in my life when the never Trumpers run back to Trump begging him for forgiveness. I, I am. I have, this is so much fun. The Russiagate smears, man, those can be mind numbing. They're doing it to Bernie now. They did it to Tulsi. They did it to Trump. But I'll tell you what, this feels great to watch MSNBC freak out nearly in tears over what's happening with Bernie because they're just liars. They're lies and they're getting what's coming to them. They, they, in no way did they want to play fair with the American people. They wanted to tell you you were too stupid to know what was right for you. And now they're getting what they deserve because the era of the top down broadcast media is coming to an end. And some of those viewers might watch me. Some of those viewers might watch Kyle Kalinske or The Hills Rising with Crystal Ball and Cigar and Jetty. Some of those viewers are now going to watch Steven Crowder. And, it's, and we're all the better off for it. Get rid of the lying, deceitful morons of cable TV news and find some regular people who want to talk to you about honestly how they feel. And we will all be so much better off for it. I look forward to the complete and utter demise of MSNBC as a business. Quote, I'm wondering whether the Democratic moderates want Bernie Sanders to be president. That's maybe too exciting a question to raise. They don't like Trump at all. Do they want Bernie Sanders to take over the Democratic Party in perpetuity, he said. I mean, he takes it over. He sets the direction of the future of the party. Maybe they'd rather wait four years and put in a Democrat that they like. Well, whether you take my advice or not, let me tell you, Yang, at the at near the end of Yang's run, uh, I, I, I initially was very much for Tulsi Gabbard, and I still think she's epic and a very awesome person. And then eventually I decided, I think Yang, you know, kind of took over in the first place and what I thought was right for this country. I did not have confidence that Yang could win, but I thought his message about the future of our economy and automation was something that needed to be on the debate stage. And so I was very much so behind him in that regard. Plus, he's like the only Democrat who was a Democratic candidate. He's not really a Democrat saying we need to stop pretending that Donald Trump is the cause of all of our problems. And I'm like, thank you. And I'm sure so many other Yang supporters thought that, thought that as well. You want to have an argument with Trump about his policies? Absolutely. But he did not cause all of our problems. And the establishment is lying. They're just so insane that the strategy will never work. Yang dropped out. And we can see the democratic process is, has been broken, to say the least. Now, I'm somebody who has to figure out, what do I want? Who would I vote for? And as of right now, nobody. 
I don't think Trump is the worst person in the world. I don't think he's the end of it's the apocalypse. And I don't think the same is true for Bernie Sanders. But I will tell you this as someone who is more moderate, who is very much who, who still very much is a fan of Yang and Tulsi Gabbard. I would not vote for Bernie Sanders. That doesn't mean I'll vote for Donald Trump. Bernie Sanders doesn't freak me out, but I just don't agree with him on a lot of these policies. And I think that Bernie Sanders, he's similar to Trump in a lot of ways. I mean, they're both populists, so they have a very populist message. But I view Bernie Sanders as a Pied Piper candidate of the left, which will, now I'll bring you into why this is bad news for Trump. He's essentially promising all of the sweets and goodies. But Bernie Sanders' message on economics, as far as I can see, has been a net negative message on economics. Donald Trump talks about prosperity. He talks about creating jobs and ending these, these awful trade agreements. All of those messages that Trump has put out are net positive positions saying, I'm going to make the economy better. Bernie Sanders has a net negative message where he says, we're going to take, we're going to tax, we are going to take the wealth of the billionaires. That's a net negative message. I'm not, I'm not telling you if you're a Bernie, Bernie supporter, I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm saying there is one message where Bernie talks about taking wealth that already exists versus Trump's message of creating wealth that does not yet exist and creating prosperity. I think Trump's message is more likely to work. Bernie Sanders' positions scare me because the wealth tax is a finite solution to an ongoing problem that can only result in a collapse. If you were assuming the wealth tax worked and you taxed Michael Bloomberg for all of his money, what happens when Bloomberg doesn't exist and there are no more billionaires? Then you can't fund everything you've claimed you wanted to fund and you'll have to find taxes elsewhere. The idea of net negative economics to me is unappealing. I would rather someone say, we are going to create many, many more billionaires and in the process, make all Americans more prosperous. I have a problem with wealth inequality. I I do. And I talk about it a lot because what Bloomberg does today is one of the most shocking and and disruptive and evil things I have ever seen in American politics. I'm only 33, going to be 34 in a couple of weeks. But maybe I haven't seen as much as, I, as many other people. But Bloomberg is not actually winning hearts and minds. He's buying hearts and minds. He's buying people to work for him. He's buying influencers to promote him. Nobody actually likes the guy. And people are leaking documents from his campaign because they're mercenaries who don't care about him. That is horrifying that he is going to upset the Democratic primary process through hard cash. Bernie Sanders and Bloomberg represent the extremes of the party, in my opinion. Bernie is the populist. But you know what? He deserves it. He deserves to win. If Bernie is going to promise you all the goodies in the world, healthcare, college, and all these things, which I think are unsustainable, at least he's offering something to the people and they're choosing to, to, to vote for him. I find it unfortunate because Bernie's wrong, but Bloomberg is just saying, vote for me, here's cash. Vote for me, here's cash. I know people are going to point to Andrew Yang. Andrew Yang was, was I, 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 I am critical of UBI. Absolutely but automation needed to be on the table. So I will absolutely take that criticism of Yang because he was literally offering people cash and bragged about it. Not a fan of that. Bloomberg is buying people to say they support him. Now, I'm not even kidding. There's a report that he's going to offer up a couple grand for people to go on their social media accounts and start talking about how they like Bloomberg when they don't. That's a nightmare scenario that should not exist. I do not. I, I, I can agree to a certain extent with Bernie about the billionaires and, and dramatic wealth inequality. I do not think the path to reducing that inequality is with an iron fist. I know I'm being a little hyperbolic, but seriously, when you come with the government's force of taxation on wealth and the wealth tax literally doesn't make sense because net worth is based on assets which aren't hard cash to be paid in taxes, I don't understand what you're trying to do. 
You're talking about a net negative economic policy, which I think is bad. But to the Pied Piper comment, when Bernie Sanders says, I'm going to give you all free health care. And, and, and it's not, maybe, maybe not necessarily him, but I mean, I think he is saying that. It's not free. You're going to pay for it. And you're going to lose your, your choices in your health care providers. And there's, there's already serious problems with universal health care and national health services that you would not predict. They're going to have to do a transition period. Two million jobs will be lost that work in the healthcare industry. I am no fan of the healthcare industry. I don't know what the right solution is, but I've always been pretty much in favor of a public option. Problem, Pete Buttigieg, the guy who's supposed to be the moderate, is a bit too milk toast, to say the least. And it's funny coming from me, right? But he's not, he's like, a, he's like, he's like a, a Obama Jr. He's not, he doesn't have the power and charisma of Obama, nor does he have a strong enough position to actually win as far as I'm concerned. And it's hard to go up against someone like Bernie Sanders who says free college. College is not the problem, dude. The student loans are not the problem with what's happening to our economy. It's, it's teaching young people how to be prosperous, how to build and produce and giving them the opportunity to, to do something they love. They were raised, my generation was raised poorly. People don't make things to, that make them happy. They don't build things to make them happy. They're lost. And they're looking for anyone who can offer them a solution. This speaks a lot of way to who Donald Trump is as well. So I'll, I'll put, I'll, I'll wrap this up and then we'll talk about what Matt Walsh had to say. He's got a big warning for you Trump supporters. You better listen to this. Bernie Sanders is going to offer you the pie in the sky. I don't buy it. Donald Trump sort of does the same thing, but at least his message is about creating more wealth. Now, foreign policy, I'm not a fan of. I'd like to see what Bernie Sanders has to say. In the end, I don't think I'd, I really care to choose between the two. I'm not going to freak out and cry over Bernie Sanders or Trump. Y'all need to calm down. I love the media's Bernie derangement syndrome. It, is, it, 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 it brings me great pleasure. Matt Walsh, who is a very conservative individual, as far as I, I can tell, uh, and with the Daily Wire, tweets, conservatives are gleefully confident that Bernie can't win. They've already forgotten how sure it seemed that Trump would lose. Trump was utterly detested by huge numbers of people, still is. No governing experience, reality TV host, every reason to think he'd lose, and he didn't. Trump won in the end for two reasons. He had an extremely motivated and excited core of support, and a lot of people hated his opponent more than they hated him. Both of those things apply to Bernie right now. So I agree that based on everything we think we know about how elections work in America, Bernie should lose in a landslide. But that was the case for Trump, too. Maybe the rules have changed. Matt is right. But Bernie Sanders is a socialist. And I think you will find moderates are freaking out. Look at MSNBC. They certainly don't represent the the, the grassroots base of the Democratic Party, but they certainly do represent the Rachel Maddow urban snoot elites of the Democratic Party. These never burners are going to come crying back to Donald Trump. They're going to walk in like crying little babies and Trump's going to say, okay, okay, go sit in the corner and you can take part in my plan. Because these people will vote against Bernie out of fear. You might hate Donald Trump, but I think a bigger motivation is the fear of socialism. Most people in this country, according to the polls, are doing better than ever. Bernie's message about more taxes, and it really is, and a negative economic plan. I'm not saying it's going to cause a recession. I'm saying his plan is we're taking wealth that exists, whereas Trump's been, we're making wealth that doesn't. And I, I, while I can agree with Bernie on the billionaires thing, I do, I'm not a big fan of the wealth, wealth disparity and all that stuff. You got to understand to the, to the American people, 
While many younger people aren't freaked out by the word socialism, a lot of older people are. And those people who hate Trump will come crawling back, giving Trump a bigger advantage. And as we saw back in, I think, November, October from the New York Times, the upshot data tracking, Donald Trump's base is bigger than ever, his approval rating higher than ever. I think Trump is on track to win. Have, you know, uh, he's going to win. But Matt Walsh makes another good point. He says, uh, I don't trust those polls. I suspect the satisfied people are older and white. There's a lot of dissatisfaction and anger among other demos. Bernie is winning the primary for a reason. We can't make the mistake people made with Trump and assume his primary success is meaningless. Matt Walsh, 100% correct. If you underestimate the Bernie Sanders base, you will lose. Hillary Clinton laughed and mocked the populist Trump. He'd never win. And he mopped the floor with her. And, and then everyone laughed. And they're like, ha we did it. We couldn't believe it happened, but it did. And right now you have a lot of people saying Bernie can never win. Even MSNBC saying Bernie can never win. And maybe we're better off with Trump. And you will get a rude awakening when the socialist wins in November. Personally, I think Trump will win. I think Trump's economic policies have been good for this country. And I fear Bernie Sanders' economic policies. But my opinion is not so relevant. My, my opinion on the choice of the nominees is simple. The Democrats have a right to choose. The crony elite establishment can go cry me a river. I don't care what you think. The people have spoken and it's Bernie Sanders. Bravo, progressives. More power to you. You have my complete and sincere congratulations. I'm loving it. I am laughing watching Bernie Sanders win against these people. He deserves it. Hillary Clinton stole it. And I was a, I was a big fan of Bernie back in 2016. Hillary Clinton, the DNC stole it. And now once again, they are getting their comeuppance and it feels great. When Donald Trump won in 2016, I laughed one of the hardest laughs ever. It was great. Now, I know people say that's that's because, Tim, you're privileged and blah, blah. I don't care. Shut up. Donald Trump was 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 karmic justice for the crony establishment elites of the Democratic Party that for too long have lied and spat in my face. And it felt good. And Bernie Sanders is the same thing. So you know what? I think it's hilarious. Now, whether or not Bernie or will beat Trump or Trump will beat Bernie, it's going to be up to all of you. If you're a Bernie supporter and you think you're going to mop the floor with Trump because of what Matt Walsh is saying, you got another thing coming. Frank Luntz, famous pollster, said this is going to be a gruesome battle, one of the ugliest elections in history. I think it's fair to say I'm kind of leaning towards a Trump landslide, though. I might if I'm going to put down my chips, it's for Donald Trump. So Bernie supporters, you better get ready. You might win the Democratic primary, but will you gain support from the moderates? In my opinion, I don't think so. But that's yet to be seen. Stick around. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I will see you all then. Another day, another, oh dear Lord, help us. The coronavirus is getting substantially worse. We've got an outbreak now hitting Europe. South Korea is getting worse, and we've got border closings across the board. Can I just point out one thing before we get into the coronavirus news? You've got Israel threatening to shut its borders down. You've got Turkey, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Armenia closing its borders to Iran over the coronavirus. And at the same time that we are facing a global pandemic with a substantial mortality rate, you've actually got activists and politicians in this country saying no borders. Break up CBP. Okay, okay, hold on. I think it's funny that When you live in prosperity for so long, you forget how serious the problems can be and you forget why you created the security in the first place. No one's ever broken into my home. Why do I lock the door? Got to admit, a lot of people become lax. They become soft and then the bad things happen. So we got a bunch of news. I'm not going to get too much into the story from the Jerusalem Post about these border closings. I think that's, I mean, that speaks for itself. 
What's more worrisome to me, the Daily Beast, coronavirus explodes in Italy, threatening Europe. Can it be contained? The answer is no. Experts have already said as much. Trump is outraged. They, they brought back people on a plane. He didn't want it to happen. And now we're hearing that there are several infections, cell clusters that we cannot trace. Stands to reason quarantine is already broken. This is a wasted effort. They should be focusing on other efforts because quarantine ain't working. I mean, perhaps it's slowing things down. But for the longest time, they said 14 days was the incubation period. Then we found out it could be as long as 20, 24 days. Now there is one guy in one story, 27 day incubation. So sure, they held you up for two weeks. You get out, you infect a bunch of people. Now we can't trace any of it. I'm going to read this to you. It's happening in Europe. It will likely come to the United States. It's probably already here. Some experts have already testified that in the US, there could be thousands of cases and we just don't know. But I want to show you some world data. I don't know exactly what this website is, but the data seems to correlate pretty well with what I've seen from other news reports. So take it with a grain of salt, as I normally say. Worldometers.info, coronavirus, 78,933 cases so far, 2,470 deaths, 23,418 have recovered. Now, when calculating the mortality rate, there's some official CDC way of doing it, tracking like the national expected, like the population versus how many people they think will actually get sick and die. But that's not what people are actually asking for when they want to know what the mortality rate is. I don't, don't look, I'll put it this way. Of the closed cases, the mortality rate, the mortality rate of the coronavirus among closed cases is 10%. Check this out. 25,888 cases, which had an outcome. 23,418 have recovered 90%. 2,470 have died 10%. And of the active cases, 22% are in serious or critical condition. Most people, around 78, 80%, will get mild symptoms, probably don't even know they have it. But of the people who have gotten the disease, th- these have resolved in 90% becoming being fine, but 10% dying. That's the number most people are asking for when you're calculating the likelihood of dying if you contract the disease. As of right now, it would seem with the cases resolving, 10% have died. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how you want to calculate it, whatever. Maybe that's not accurate. That's just what it is showing. But let's talk about Europe. I don't think it can be contained. Experts have already said they don't think it can be contained. And I'm going to stop right now. And I'm going to say something that I know may be annoying to many of you who watch all of my videos about updates on this. They kept telling us everything was fine. They kept telling us it was not, it was not going to be as bad as the flu. Why aren't you getting your flu shot, etc.? They kept saying these things, but it did continually get worse. Look at the response from China with the massive quarantine. Look at the response from the militaries around the world. Border closings, quarantine. Take it very seriously. If you have not gone out and got supplies already, you are making a serious mistake. I'm not saying become a prepper and build a, bunk, a bomb shelter three years of food. I'm saying just go out and get some cases of bottled water or something because you will not regret it. If all of this blows over, guess what? You drink the water anyway. Let's read the story from the Daily Beast. Rome, the word quarantine comes from the 17th. Okay, you're really going to do this to me, guys. I don't care where the word comes from. They say the word is being used again in Italy. Oh, you think? Applied to the government's draconian reaction as the coronavirus and the disease known as COVID-19 appear to be hitting the country with a vengeance. More than 50,000 Italians living in 10 communities are literally locked down, 
facing jail sentences and fines if they leave their homes, thanks to the largest outbreak outside of Asia. The towns all in the north of the country are cut off from the rest of Italy now. Not even the trains stop when they roll through. The church services are canceled and dipping one's hand in holy water is strictly prohibited. Three major Series A soccer games in the area have been postponed and schools have all been closed for the foreseeable future. Anyone defying the restrictions faces three months in jail and a fine of around $250. But all across the country, paranoia is spreading faster than the virus. Giorgio Armani tweeted that he will now hold his fall 2020 show behind closed doors in Milan this week, live streaming the runway from an empty theater. The mayor of Milan, a city of more than 1.3 million people, announced Sunday that all schools and universities will be closed for at least a week, even though the city is not locked down under the current quarantine. In Rome, nervous taxi drivers outside Fiumicino Airport were hesitant to pick up Asian passengers, and a Chinese woman in Turin reported being assaulted for simply being Chinese. Prime Minister Jeppe Conti announced that all scholastic trips into and out of the country are being suspended, including one involving this reporter's son, who was pulled from a flight to Budapest along with 30 other students early Sunday morning. Whoa, this is getting bad. I feel bad for Europe. You know why? Because they bro- they're breaking down their borders. They're continually advocating for breaking down these borders, and we're seeing a rise of po- right-wing nationalism and populism, and this is going to bolster that substantially. Could you imagine what would have happened to the United States if activists like AOC or Bernie Sanders and other politicians broke up customs and border protection, decriminalized border crossings, and then this pandemic broke out. Imagine if Bernie Sanders did win in 2016 and he carried out this agenda. And since then, hundreds of thousands of people, because like it was like a million people who crossed the border, started pouring through unknown diseases, viruses, and the coronavirus outbreak. Now, I'm not saying illegal immigrants are dirty or anything. I'm saying there is a pandemic underway. It is going, it is becoming a global health crisis. Italy is locking down. This has just been getting worse. China, we don't even know what they're doing because they're lying. There was a report out of South China, China, uh, South China University, I believe, Beijing, where they believe this may have escaped a lab through a bat bite or something to that effect. That's, that's their latest speculation out of China. They believe that's where it came from. Now, you still have the New York Times and the Washington Post trying to under underplay what's really going on, claiming it's a conspiracy theory. No one's saying it's definitive. I mean, some people are probably saying it's definitive. But people in media of moderate prominence and politicians have have kept a cool head when talking about this, saying this is a real possibility. Look at the science and the report that was just released. Not saying it's 100 percent true. I'm saying we need to consider this could be much more serious than we realize. That report said it's probable that someone was entangled in the evolution of the virus, whatever that means. It is a novel virus. We have no immunity. It is spreading rapidly. And more importantly, is the economic damage that's going to come from this. We got a great economy happening right here in the US, but the economy has been taking a hit. The markets have been taking a hit because of coronavirus fears. We get a ton of our antibiotics produced in China, our rare earths produced in China, our smartphones so much produced in China, and they are in full on panic mode over this. It's only gotten worse. 70,000 plus cases of those that closed, 10% have died. The story says Matteo Salvini, the leader of the far right League party, wants to close the frontier, though countries that border Italy are likely thinking the same thing from their side. An outbreak this extensive 
and virulent is likely to impact all of Western Europe very quickly, if not with the disease itself, then with precautions taken to try and stop it. Since Friday, Italian authorities have confirmed more than 130 new cases, including two fatalities in the north of the country. Three people, including two Chinese tourists who were confirmed positive in Rome last month, have since recovered and are no longer believed to be contagious. A Chinese tourist died in France earlier this month, but the deaths in Italy are the first Europeans killed by the virus. Both of the Italian victims were in their 70s. The first was a man who died in a hospital and who also suffered from other respiratory problems. The second was a woman found dead in her home on Saturday morning, clearly unaware she even had the virus. It is unknown how many people may have been in contact with her. The quick spread of the disease in this outbreak and the uncertainty about how it came to Italy is especially troubling. In the northern town Codogno, near Milan, Cordogno, how do you pronounce it? The 39 people who initially tested positive are all tied to the local hospital and so-called patient zero, who was thought to have brought it back from Shanghai. The problem is that patient zero never tested positive for the virus. Authorities think he may have been a silent carrier, infecting a friend, uh, I'm sorry, infecting a friend referred to as patient one, whose only tie to China was being a friend of patient zero. Authorities at first thought patient zero had the virus and recovered, but they can see that in fact, there may be another source. Clearly, this is not a perfect science. We've lost control of this. As if we ever had control in the first place, that's probably a better way to put it. We've never had control of this coronavirus. And now it's getting worse. And I'll be the first to admit when this first came out, of course, I said, remain calm. It's probably nothing. SARS, MERS. We are well beyond SARS at this point. We are well beyond avian flu and these other, these other things. Now, I, I get it. Flu is bad. It does kill substantially more. But I want to point out, maybe they're overreacting. We know this is traveling as fast, but the reality is the mortality rate is substantially higher. How they calculate mortality rate, as I explained, it's like, an, it's this, I looked it up. It's kind of weird. I don't exactly know how to do it. But they look at like the entire population. If, 20, if 25,000 people have gotten, the, you know, gotten this and 10% have died, take that extremely seriously because it looks like the governments are doing it. And I will tell you, they're not going to want to get you panicked and riled up because that would devastate the economy and actually inhibit the ability to create a vaccine of some sort or some kind of preventative measure. So they're going to tell you everything's fine. They always will. And you shouldn't panic for good reason, but you should prepare. Now, Vox just published this story just a little bit before I was actually recording at 11 a.m. Why the coronavirus outbreak increasingly looks like a pandemic. I got to say, I'm, I'm really kind of offended by a lot of these people who, who write for woke media where they have zero curiosity and they're so dumb that literally everything the government says must be true. So when reports are coming out of China that say this may have originated in a bio lab, they go, oh, no, no, no. The Chinese government said no. Of course, we believe the Communist Party, who's mass produced four hospitals in 10 days through a massive construction project. They're just doing it because because it's fun. There's no problem. They're just being safe. No, they're freaking out. They're absolutely freaking out. So so we have experts that quote in the story that are basically saying it is too late. Let me read a little bit. The likelihood that we're hurtling into a pandemic, a new disease that spreads around the world, or that we've, we're already in one seems higher than just a week ago. It's going to get worse. I hope you are paying attention. Quote, our window of opportunity for containing the virus is narrowing, so we need to act quickly before it closes completely, said World Health Organization Director uh, General Tedros Ad- Adhanom. 
I'm not on Friday, but other public health experts think the window has already closed. They say worrisome new developments in this outbreak suggest containing the virus, particularly in low resource settings, may no longer be possible if it ever was. I don't think the answer is shutting down the world to stop the vi- this virus. It's already out, said Michael Osterholm, director of the University of Minnesota Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy. When several countries have widespread transmission, then spill over to other countries is inevitable, said Anthony Fauci, head of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. One cannot shut out the rest of the world. If halting the spread of the virus is increasingly out of reach, to, out of reach public health officials will have to accept that it's everywhere and move to a new phase of readying for pandemic. They are. The story came out on the 7th. The U.S. military is preparing for a full-blown pandemic. We are at a turning point in the COVID-19 epidemic, said Lawrence Gostin, a global health law professor at Georgetown University. We must prepare for the foreseeable possibility, even probability, that COVID-19 may soon become a pandemic affecting countries on virtually all continents. It's broken quarantine. You are not going to stop it. Now you get it. All right. They say numerous countries in one cruise ship have seen rapid spread of the coronavirus. Italy is freaking out. I assure you, if we're if we know about it in Italy, that means we don't know where it's already spread to, but it very well has. As I mentioned earlier, this was like last week. Experts testified in the US that US there could already be thousands of cases, very likely. And we don't know. Some people might have a mild case and never even report. Like they said, one woman in Italy died, didn't even know she had the virus thought she was just sick. The mortality rate for this one is higher. Some people have actually died in hospitals. Young people, a doctor, one of the first doctors who found out about it. But here's the question I have, because at the same time, this story is is breaking. And I hope you are all taking it seriously. I'm not saying the world's ending. It may, it may blow over. Just keep calm, but seriously, take care of yourself and your family. I'll say it a million times. There's questions over what's going to happen to the election. Slate says White House fears effect of coronavirus on election as world braces for pandemic. Can you imagine the complete and utter bedlam if this becomes a global global pandemic with a 60 percent infection rate, like some experts have said, and we have to postpone the election already in Iran? They're claiming voter turnout is low over coronavirus fears. Here's what worries me. That could be true. People don't want to go out into massive public settings. They will forego voting for their own safety. If there is record low voter turnout, Trump wins a massive landslide. That's Moody's analytics. Think about what happens when they decide we will hold an election amid this massive outbreak, assuming it extends into November. We'll see. It's going to get warmer. That could make things worse. Let's say they decide to hold the election. Voter turnout is record lows because nobody wants to risk getting the infection. Trump wins in a massive landslide. That's going to leave the, the, the left, the Bernie supporters, you know, more Democratic personalities furious. So it may actually come from Democrats. It may actually come from the left that we should postpone the election because of coronavirus fears. We've already seen one story. Iran is claiming the voter turnout is down over the coronavirus. I find it questionable, but maybe it makes sense. I mean, would you if, if you knew there was an outbreak and they're shutting the borders down around your country, are you going to go out in the public or are you going to bunker down and try and wait for this to blow over? A lot of people are going to say, I'm not going to vote. So then what happens if Trump gets record low voter turnout? He wins. I think it's possible if this does extend. I'm saying it's a big if. We don't know where we're going to go for, from here. 
if this extends into November and gets substantially worse, I think the left is going to say no election. What does that mean for Donald Trump? I don't know. But it could mean an extended term. I don't know how you, we, we, we hold another election, you know, we hold the election a month, two months later. What if they say we have to postpone the election because voter turnout will be abysmal and it's unfair? Everyone agrees. But everyone agrees that Trump's term, you know, shouldn't extend beyond a certain point. So then what do you do? If, you know, theoretically, the, the election happens in November. The transition is supposed to be around January with the inauguration of a new president should Trump lose. If we can't have an election due to severity of the coronavirus and it extends even a month past January without an election, then Trump may be getting free time. But then what happens if, if it is the left saying we must shut down the elections and the coronavirus just continues to get worse? Dare I say it, this could get bad. But there are other possibilities. And I know this is all speculation. We don't know what's going to happen. So remain calm. But another possibility is the need for government health care. This could be the thing that finally sets us over the top and creates a crisis that, re- that forces a Medicare for all scenario. I could be wrong about this. My understanding is that a lot of national health service in, in Europe, were, 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 they were created following World War II because of the mass devastation. They had no choice but to say, we've got to help people. Let's say that there is a massive 60% infection rate. 10% of the people who get, who get this end up dying. We are going to see hundreds of millions you know, of people die if that's the case. Right now, there have been some extreme projections from experts testifying in the US and the UK of a potential 60% infection rate. The current mortality rate is between 1% and 2%. That means 40 to 90 million dead by the official government estimates right now in the absolute worst case scenario that's been proposed. It may not get anywhere near 60%, but a 2% mortality rate is like 10 to 20 times worse than the flu. It could be that things get so bad that in the government, you have a massive surge of the Bernie Sanders supporters saying the government must intervene on health care now. And the massive devastation from the economy, people aren't going to be worried about anything else. In which case, maybe Bernie Sanders takes it. Maybe they say the election must happen, but Bernie voters come out in droves demanding the government intervene because of the coronavirus. I can't tell you what's going to happen. I can only speculate. What I can tell you is every step of the way, this has gotten worse and worse and worse. We are now seeing mass quarantines in Italy. How much longer until it's in the rest of Europe? It's already starting to happen in the US. I think it's coming. I think it's going to get bad. I do not believe we're anywhere near the apocalypse, but do not have an optimism bias. We have had such good times for so long. People have gotten soft. Well, a hard time is, is the hard time is here and it may get really bad. We'll see what happens. I hope you are seriously getting at least some extra water and food. And don't let anyone shame you into not going to the store and picking up some some vitamins, some water, some food, because in the absolute best case scenario that I'm completely wrong and this all blows over, guess what? You just eat the food and drink the water and you move on with your life. I'll leave it there. Stick around. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. YouTube.com slash TimCast. It is a different channel and I will see you all there. Controversy is erupting in Sweden after a new report came out showing that in the past 10 years or in a span of about 10 years, transgender diagnoses among young women is up 1500%. Something strange is going on. And one study suggests that it's actually a air quotes social contagion. I think their choice of words were rather poor and it's getting some researchers into trouble. But the general idea is that it's social pressure or something called rapid onset gender dysphoria. 
because of this and because of extremely high desistance rates, the rate at which trans children no longer identify as trans, many people are saying we should pass laws restricting whether or not young people can get therapies and treatments for, you know, to, to actually transition. I'm not a doctor, nor am I the expert, but we're looking at a controversy. And so we're going to read this and talk about it. Please don't chew my head off, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. The Guardian reports new health report and TV debates highlight backlash against gender reassignment. The Guardian says for several days this week, the veteran Swedish journalist Mala von Sivers will cover the same topic in every episode of her nightly TV chat show, The Extraordinary Rise in Diagnosis of Gender Dysphoria Among Teenage Girls. Lucas Romson, one of the country's leading trans activists, is prepared for the worst. Quote, there will be no serious trans activists in the show because none of us trusts Mallow at all, he says. I'm afraid she'll just use us. And I'm going to stop you right there and say that is an excuse. I have had many a conversation with the left and the right, and the left typically doesn't do interviews or or go on debates because they don't know what they're talking about. I'm sorry. That's just the way it tends to be. Maybe it has something to do with critical thinking. And maybe the reason many people are now identifying as conservative or right wing is because when you go online, you tend to find right wing people who have critically analyzed the media and stories they've heard and news and science, not all of them. And the left tends to shut it out. If they're not going to engage in a conversation, then they're not going to know a lot about what they're talking about and thus creating a catch 22. They don't want to talk about it because they don't know anything about it. And they don't know anything about it because they won't talk about it. Let's read on. But the fact that a mainstream program is devoting so much time to the issues demonstrates just how much the debate has shifted in Sweden over the past year. It's been a very big change and very sudden, Romson adds. Everyone, but especially young people, feels worse because of what they perceive as the media's hatred of them. The immediate trigger for Von Sivers themed week is a report from Sweden's Board of Health and Welfare, which confirmed a 1,500% rise between 2008 and 2018 in gender dysphoria diagnoses among 13 to 17 year old, uh, 13 to 17 year olds born as girls. But it also reflects a rapid change in public opinion. Just a year ago, there seemed few official obstacles left in the way of young people who wanted gender reassignment treatment. In the autumn of 2018, the Social Democrat-led government under pressure from the gay, lesbian, and transgender group RFSL proposed a new law which would reduce the minimum, minimum age for sex reassignment medical care from 18 to 15, remove all need for parental consent, and allow children as young as 12 to change their legal gender. Then in March last year, the backlash started. Christopher Gilberg, a psychiatrist at Gothenburg's Salgrenska Academy, wrote an article in the Svenska Dagbladet newspaper warning that hormone treatment and surgery on children was a big experiment, which risked becoming one of the country's worst medical scandals. We've heard the same thing here in the United States. In April, Updrag Granskning, an invest I can't speak Swedish, you might have noticed, an investigative TV program followed up with a documentary profiling a former trans man, Samedi, who regretted her irreversible treatment. In October, the program turned its fire on the team at Stockholm's Karolinska University Hospital, which specializes in treating minors with gender dysphoria. The unit has been criticized for carrying out double mastectomies on children as young as 14 and accused of rushing through treatment and failing to consider adequately whether patients' other psychiatric or developmental issues might better explain their unhappiness with their bodies. The Karolinska 
Carol Inska disputed the claim, saying it carefully assessed each case. At the same time, Filter Magazine profiled the case of Jennifer Ring, a 32-year-old trans woman who hanged herself four years after her surgery, and an expert on psychosis who was shown her medical journal by her father, Avi Ring, was quoted as saying that she had shown clear signs of psychosis at the time she sought treatment for gender dysphoria. Indeed, the first clinic she approached refused to treat her, citing signs of schizotypal symptoms and lack of a history of gender dysphoria. But the team at Karolinska went ahead. Karolinska don't stop anyone virtually 100% get sex reassignment, says Ring. Sweden's authorities are starting to respond shortly before the bill that would have lowered the sex reassignment minimum age was due to be debated in parliament in September. It was shelved and the Board of Health and Welfare was ordered to reassess the evidence. Its reports, its report is due on the 31st of March. Now, what I find truly fascinating in this article right now is that it seems kind of inverted. You'd think Sweden would be much more progressive, but it, it looks like they actually have a law requiring people to be at least 18 to get gender reassignment. Yet in the United States, they're only just now passing these laws, much to the anger of the progressive left. But let's read on. After being interviewed on Updrag Granskening, Sweden's health minister, Lena Hollengren, asked the program to include a text addendum to remind viewers that it had been her predecessor and not her who had drafted the controversial law. On the 20th of December, the Swedish Agency for Health Technology Assessment, which the government had asked to review the scientific research into the recent surge in teenagers reporting gender dysphoria, reported that there was very little research either into the reason for the increase or the risks or benefits of hormone treatment and surgery. For Ramsen, this is a worrying turn of events. He blames Gender Identity Challenge Scandinavia Gened, a parents group set up by Ring, a retired professor of neurophysiology, the Swedish toxicologist Karen Svens, and the Norwegian teacher Merit Ronsted for the change in the debate, contrasting these so-called concerned parents with real parents who affirm their children's chosen identities. Svens was the only Swedish parent to speak openly on up, updrag Granskning about, her trans, about how her trans son announced he was a boy when he was 17, started going to Karolinska's adult clinic when he turned 18, and now identifies as male. When asked about Jennifer Ring, he says that friends of hers have told him she found it difficult that her family were unwilling to accept her as a trans woman, saying, quote, when I started questioning this some years ago, I thought I was alone. They tried to scare me by repeatedly implying that there is a high risk of suicide, especially if the parents don't agree. Now, more and more parents have found the courage to question what the doctors say. I'm going to stop right here and bring up a couple points. I've got Colin Wright. Colin Wright is an evolutionary biologist who made a really interesting point when talking about what happened in Sweden. The first thing I want to say, it is absolutely fair to suggest that as society becomes more accepting of the LGBTQ community, you will see the numbers of people identifying as such increase. A lot of people were scared to come out in the past, and they are less so today. I think it is fair to say that a decent explanation for the increase in the amount of people identifying as LGBTQ is because they're not scared society will reject them or you know ruin their lives. I also think it's fair to say that rapid onset gender dysphoria is, is based in some good logic and reason. Young people are not just being told it's safe. They're actually being inundated with TV shows promoting this, with people saying nothing but good things. And anyone who dare challenge this will get banned from social media. Some of the people who have come out questioning this have been completely purged. 
which means those young people who go online looking for answers will only see a positive message. That is scary because certainly there are some bad stories too. We know the negatives exist. And if we can't talk about it, people will not be given a fair opportunity to better understand what is happening in their lives. But Colin Wright has this interesting thread. He notes that it, and in one paper, this, uh, they, they use the word social contagion, peer contagion. And he's basically saying that we must take seriously the idea of rapid onset gender dysphoria, but makes the best point out of all of this, saying it is quite revealing that activists who are generally obsessed with asserting the ubiquity of socialization as an explanation for practically every human behavior decide to draw a sharp line here. I wonder why this is not an approved explanation, but let me reiterate this. We hear over and over again that everything is a social construct. Gender is a social construct. All of it's a social construct, racism, bigotry, white supremacy, etc. But not transgenderism. That's biological. Maybe it's a social construct. Maybe it is ingrained in some people from an early age. Maybe it can't be changed. I don't know. The interesting thing is I'm absolutely one of these people who has addressed the idea of social constructs and agrees to a certain degree with it. I think nature and nurture plays a serious role, which is why I'm absolutely open to the idea that rapid onset gender dysphoria could be a real thing, but that many people are actually legitimately transgender. But these people are extremists. They want an absolute agenda, regardless of who it hurts. They're they're bullies and authoritarians, and many of them aren't even actually trans. It tends to be young, cisgendered, college-educated white women. I, I mean that quite literally who are leading the charge on all of this intersectionality nonsense. But where they win the most is on the trans issue. Based on the conversation I had with Jack Dorsey on the Rogan podcast last year, probably because they are scared of the high suicide rates compared to other things. You don't really see it. That freaks them out. And that is an exploitation of emotion for political gain, which actually could end up hurting people and making things worse. We need to be able to talk about this stuff. So, so going back to the Swedish stuff, I don't want to get into the nitty gritty of literally everything Sweden is doing, but I think the important point is, why is it up 1,500%? Is it true that that many young women are trans? I honestly do not think that's the case. But don't take it from me. I'm not a doctor. I just question this, and I think any smart person would be a bit skeptical on literally everything. The last question I'll leave you with is the one that Colin Wright brought up. Why do they think everything is a social construct except this one issue? I don't know. But that is quite revealing, isn't it? I'll leave it there. Stick around. Next segment's coming up in a few minutes, and I will see you all shortly. You may remember that in the past week, Samantha B, the generic hollow shell of whatever it is Jon Stewart used to have, did a smear on Prager University. For those that aren't familiar with Prager University, I don't know what you're doing on YouTube, but let me explain. They're a essentially a conservative YouTube channel that explains things from their perspective. It's educational and it's conservative. They explain their point of view. What else do you want to call it? Well, Samantha B said it was dangerous propaganda. And since her awful smear, I mean, awful in the sense that it was like really poorly crafted and conceived, not that she did a good job of smearing anybody. PragerU has raised $50,000 in donations. Bravo, good sirs. It seems that Samantha B's pathetic attempt at smearing PragerU backfired. But I want to make one thing absolutely clear before we read this. First, the story here isn't so much that PragerU's raised $50,000 in donations, but that almost immediately the media is smearing Prager again. 
It's just all so dumb. But I want to point out that I don't think Samantha B's intention was to actually cause harm to PragerU. A lot of people have said they're trying to use, I think it was Crowder, actually. They want to use the language of calling him dangerous so they can get him banned. I don't think so. I think they're mindless drones who have no idea what they're talking about. And they're sitting in a room and someone says, ooh, let's rag on these guys. We'll make money doing that. Okay. They didn't actually watch anything. They don't know the arguments. So then you end up on YouTube where you actually have PragerU and channels like mine, where you get sane, rational thought. Not always, but sometimes. And we talk about things more rationally. So if you watch Samantha B's show and that's all you watch, you're probably really dumb. You probably don't get out much and you know very little because you are in a narrow passageway. If you go on YouTube, the world is your oyster and you're learning about crazy things, some of which is complete BS, weird stuff about aliens and flat earth for sure on YouTube. But you're also getting more honest personalities like Prager, Crowder, me, and even progressives, people like perhaps Kyle Kalinske or the uh, the Hills, uh, Crystal Ball and Cigar and Jetty. Wide range of opinions there. A lot of wrong information between all of us. Yeah, we get things wrong. We do. But you're learning more and you're hearing conflicting ideas. You're not going to get that from Samantha B. So I, I, I think this story is particularly funny because, first of all, it whatever it was, a smear or otherwise, thank you uh, for, for, the, for the advertising for a great YouTube channel. All right, PragerU, I'm sure they're very happy saying the attack was unfortunately so typical of what folks on the left do to PragerU all the time, but also mentioning they never even asked for it. They're just getting all this money. People are stoked. Hey, congratulations. Samantha B just helped out whether it was intention, her intention or not. But I, I really want to talk about the immediate other smear that they, they started to do against PragerU and how the media machine works. But let's read about how Samantha B's vapid, trashy show helps PragerU. Reclaim the Net reports. Conservative talk show host and writer Dennis Prager has responded to Comedy Central host Samantha B's attack on his digital education platform, PragerU, and revealed that it helped to generate over $50,000 in donations for the platform. I'll tell you what. That could hire a nice producer to make more content. Isn't that great? For one year. During an episode of Fireside Chat, Prager thanked B for spurring the nations and said, she brought us $50,000 in counting. We didn't even ask for it. Just people saying, oh, I'm giving money just to show this will backfire on her. Prager added that B's attack had also resulted in many new viewers coming to, coming to the PragerU platform. While Prager welcomed the, the, the donations, he criticized B's segment for using generalized statements with no examples, saying, quote, it was unfortunately so typical of what folks on the left do about PragerU all the time. They make these generalized statements. Oh, it's a right wing propaganda place. It's filled with lies. But 99% of the time, they never give one example. He also addressed B attacking PragerU because it's not a real university. We announce on the opening page, we're not an accredited university. You're simply free to learn. Do they acknowledge it is possible to learn at a place the government has not accredited as a university? Is that possible? It's the funny thing about that perspective. Because it's not government accredited, you assume everything about it is completely fake. Yet we use tons of educational websites every day that are not accredited universities. But more importantly, Stephen Crowder made a funnier joke that you're using the the brand tag university as if anyone expects to turn on Samantha Bee's show and see her completely nude. Or they can complain that she's not, although I doubt they would. He added, all the universities that existed prior to modern accreditation, were they not universities? The idea that the government has to affirm you in order for you to be what you are is alien to my form of thinking and mine. I completely agree with Prager. Prager, award yourself a PhD from your own university. In addition to this, Prager discussed 
how some of the people who make videos for PragerU are professors from MIT, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Stanford, uh, University of California, and UC San Diego. I believe San Diego. Prager's comments reflect just how much of a misfire B's attack on PragerU turned out to be. Not only was she ratioed on Twitter, but the attack also resulted in more exposure and more financial support for PragerU. So bravo, good sirs. It's always nice to hear that silly, vapid attacks just end up fizzling out. Which brings me to the next one. I, I you know, look, I was looking up this story and I was like, it's kind of interesting that he raised the money. And as I was Googling a bit about Prager, I saw this smear and then I thought, oh, this is too good. You see what happens when you smear him the first time and he raised 50 grand? What do you think's going to happen now when you try and smear him over this clearly fake BS? Hopefully this brings in more money. But this is from last week, just about a, over a week ago. Here's what they wrote. This is, this is mind-numbingly stupid. Dennis Prager thinks it's, quote, idiotic that you cannot say the N-word and blames the disgusting left. Well, as you know, most people are going to see the title of that and never read what was actually being said. Welcome to the fake news. I hope you have realized by now they are lying to you. These people are truly evil and disgusting, vile, bottom-feeding gremlins. They report, report, okay, they assert, they lie. Conservative radio host and founder of PragerU said that the left has made it impossible to say the N-word even to decry its usage. Oh, and there's the context on his radio show on Thursday. In a response to a phone call from the Dennis Prager show about racial hate and anti-Semitism, Prager addressed a question about why he chose to say, quote, the N-word, end quote, before using a slur for Jewish people. In a previous segment about the, uh, about the private racism and anti-Semitism of former presidents Harry Truman and Richard Nixon, quote, but you mentioned that President Truman used, used to use the N-word all the time, and then two seconds later, you followed it up with a word that's a, a, that is a slur for Jewish people I can't say on this channel. So why did I say, why didn't I say K-word? Because the left has made it impossible to say the N-word any longer. That's disgusting. It's a farce. It's the only word that you can't say in the English language. But why is it okay to say the K-word? Prager says, because the left doesn't give a damn about that word. That's why. The left runs the country in the culture. The Republicans have the Senate and the presidency, and it's very important, but the culture and the more the left controls, the more totalitarian it is. That is not an attack. It's a statement of fact, like two plus two equals four. It it is idiotic that you cannot say the N word idiotic. Of course, you should never call anybody the N word. That's despicable. But to say the word, you cannot even say the word is despicable. You have to say the N word. That's the answer he added. And there is the actual context left out of the headlines and the smears. And this shouldn't even be a story. He's pointing out he's condemning certain words. And he's right. I literally can't say them, even in the context of condemning them. So unfortunately, kiddies, you young 18 year olds, because that's the that's the youngest age that watch this channel, I'm sure. You will never know what these words are, unless, of course, you're on the internet and you click any other website except YouTube. But we're getting to that point. How absurd is it that I on YouTube can't say words to let you know they are bad words? Oh, well. So what do you think is going to happen? There will be a period where no one will say the words. A younger generation will emerge not knowing those words, and then they will start saying them, saying, what's the big deal? Who cares? They'll be told those are forbidden words. And they're going to be like, I don't know. I never heard it before. No one ever told me anything about it. And they'll start saying it and it'll come back because you're all nuts. But it's true. 
If I say these words, YouTube will just delete my videos. So I literally can't say them. Prager's point is completely on point. If you want to explain why the word is bad, you got to say it, right? Otherwise, no one will know what the hell you're really talking about. And there was that guy from Netflix who got fired for literally doing just that. So yes, Dennis Prager hit the nail on the head with the hammer. You may have missed the story, but I'll, I'll, I'll recap you. It was a couple, it was a year or two ago, a Netflix exec was telling people about words that were offensive that couldn't be on Netflix. And so he literally said several words. Someone complained. He was brought to HR and they were like, we were told you said the N word. And he was like, well, I was explaining to them that these words were offensive. And he went on to then list the offensive words again. And they said, oh, e gad heavens, my stars and garters. He said the word again. Well, yeah, he was telling you what you, you asked him what he said. He got fired. So I think we all get that point. But look at how they title this. And mo- they know most people read the headlines and don't read the story. And they know what they're doing and why they're doing it. But we all saw what happened when Samantha B ran her crappy little smear on Dennis Prager. So you know what? I don't care for the most part about your political opinion, so long as you're honest and acting in good faith. What the media and the establishment do is not any of that. They're just lying. Now, of course, there are other people and non-establishment types who do this too. But you know what? For the time being, this is on them. These smears backfire. And I hope, same as the Samantha B smear of PragerU, Prager reaps some rewards over this insanity. PragerU made absolute sense in his condemnation of the N-word and of those Puritans who would, the Puritanical left, who would not allow us to actually explain. And they're winning, at least for now. Maybe they're not winning anymore, but they've won a lot. I can't tell you the words. That says, that says something, right? I'll leave it there. Stick around. Next segment's coming up in just a few minutes on this channel, and I will see you all then. Could this be the end of the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Dare I say yes because they are about to get so woke and follow in the footsteps of all of the other movies that have gotten woke and then gone broke. So I fully expect in the future we may see them actually do as such. Not to mention, there's, you know, after Endgame, it's been kind of weird in the MCU anyway. I mean, it was cool to see Spider-Man. We'll see how things play out. But now they're doing these shows that tie-ins. We saw the, the, the director was going to do Doctor Strange 2. It was going to be kind of like a horror movie. And he left because they're doing a bunch of bigger, expansive tie-ins, and it might not play out as well as everyone hopes. But before we read, I will give you this caveat. Kevin Feige has a, like a perfect track record of success. It may be that the quality goes down, but if anyone could figure out how to get woke and not go broke, it's probably this guy. I'm not saying you're going to be happy about it, but I think Kevin Feige has done a really good job and may actually pull, 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 it, pull it off. Not that, again, not that people will be happy about it, but we'll see what happens. Captain Marvel made money, even though I thought it was kind of a meh movie. We got a couple stories. Marvel boss Kevin Feige almost quit over lack of representation, says Mark Ruffalo. Speaking to The Independent, Avengers actor says that Marvel is leading the charge for representation on screen. That in and of itself, no problem. I'm all for it. And I've said this a lot. In the videos that I made about Captain Marvel, I've, I've frequently said, listen, at a certain point, you got to realize that Marvel just can't make movies where it's always about some white dude. Not that they should stop making movies or not make movies with white male actors in the lead. I'm just saying they should absolutely try to find other, other you know, intellectual property within the Marvel universe and bring these characters forward. Like, you know, well, they're doing it, right? Black Panther was one of them. I thought that movie was pretty good, actually. See, see here's the thing. 
They try and claim that only the incel misogynist hated Captain Marvel, but Black Panther was actually good. It was definitely overhyped for sure. It's a good movie. Is not is it Lord of the Rings? No, but it was good. It was one. It, it, I would give it. Uh, I would put on the higher scale of Marvel movies. Not the best of the Marvel movies. Certainly not the worst. So you want to do some? I mean, and there was a lot of politics in that too. So I, that's why, that's why I think Kevin Feige could actually maybe pull this off. The bigger concern, however is that we're starting, what we're starting to hear from Marvel is less just making a movie and saying we're going to do Black Panther and more so we're going to get woke in this way and do this woke thing. And we're going to make sure that we do that and these things. And I almost quit because it wasn't. Okay, now you're starting to pander. That's when things get bad. Mark Ruffalo has revealed that the Marvel boss, Kevin Feige, nearly left the franchise over its lack of representation. Speaking to The Independent, Ruffalo recalled an encounter with Feige on the set of 2012's The Avengers, in which he said he was about to, about to urge his Disney superiors to launch a female-driven superhero, superhero, superhero movie. Feige was unsure whether the Pearl Mutter, at, uh, at that point Disney's largest shareholder, could be convinced. Ruffalo said, when we did the first Avengers, Kevin Feige told me, listen, I might not be here tomorrow. And he's like, Ike does not believe that anyone will go to a female starring super movie super movie. So I am still here. So, so if I am still here tomorrow, you will know that I won that battle. Spare me. I do not believe that for a moment. How long did it take until they did Captain Marvel and they moved it around and they were desperate and they tried marketing as this big feminist film and it did okay. A lot of people didn't like it. Probably one of the worst films they've done because instead of making a film like Wonder Woman, where it's about someone who happens to be a female, the movie is about her being a female. We don't need that. Make a movie, make a character. I don't care who they are. Black Panther was good. Spider, uh, Into the Spider-Verse was awesome. That movie, man, really, really great movie. And you had diverse characters and you had diverse perspectives. That's how you're supposed to do it. So when Marvel was like, we're gonna do Black Panther, boy, it was annoying seeing the marketing and the, and the pandering. The movie itself was actually a really good take on a lot of these politics that are all around us. Immigration, isolationism. I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was hilarious who you can see the woke left rooting for because there was no real good guy there, but it was good. It was fun. It was a fun movie. And, you know, we'll see what happens with the next ones. But now, all right, let me, let me read a little bit, a little bit more. He says, that was the turning point for Marvel, Ruffalo continued, because Kevin wanted black superheroes, women superheroes, LGBT superheroes. He changed the whole Marvel universe. We now have gay superheroes. We have black superheroes. We have female superheroes. Scarlett Johansson has her movie coming out. We have Captain Marvel. They are doing She-Hulk next. No other studio is being that forwardly inclusive on that level. Full stop. You are wrong. Of course there is. DC. Man, they've been way diverse way before you. And guess what? They have failed at every step. They have failed every step of the way. Need I remind you that Birds of Prey flopped? Suicide Squad could be PG-13 now because Birds of Prey flopped. When will any of you learn the reason it flopped is because it was a big, fat feminist film? Make the movie, make female characters, do your thing, but don't make your motivations completely esoteric to a fringe perspective no one can relate to. When they did Black Panther, T'Challa was like, hey, we shouldn't open our borders. Whoa, wait a minute. That's a political issue affecting everybody. And Killmonger was very much like our people around the world. We should fight. And so these are things people kind of understood. And it was also very much so a uh, the high stakes battle. 
the, fa- the fate of their nation and the fate of the world. What was, what was Birds of Prey about? I don't know, some chick couldn't get a promotion because a guy got promoted instead and Harley Quinn broke up with her boyfriend? Seriously, that's what it was about. Other than that, I had no idea what was going on. A, a guy wanted to make money? No, no stakes, boring and weird motivations. Now, look, I went and saw Sonic the Hedgehog. The motivations there were very personal to Sonic. That was okay. It wasn't trying to be something it wasn't. It was actually a simple kids movie, rated PG. Whole lot of fun. Dr. Robotnik was kind of evil and he wanted to snatch up Sonic and take his powers and all that stuff. Very simple storyline. We get it. Little hedgehog dude's got superpowers. Other guy wants his superpowers. They go fight. What was Birds of Prey? I got no idea, man. But if this is the path you want to go on, where you're saying the, that the motivations of the character need to be based on, the, on this fringe perspective or ideology, then your movie is going to flop. If you just make movies where the characters happen to be, you will succeed. Please heed my warning. Otherwise, you'll end up with things like this. This is from Breitbart. Nolte. Marvel's The Eternals will feature first man-on-man gay kiss. Are they seriously? Hold on. Marvel is promoting its first man-on-man gay kiss, which will be featured in The Eternals, which hits theaters on November 20th. On Thursday, actor Haas Sliman teased his upcoming on-screen kiss with co-star Brian Tyree Henry. It's a beautiful, very moving kiss. Everyone cried on set. For me, it's very important to show how loving and beautiful a queer family can be. We forget that because we're always depicted as sexual or rebellious, we forget to connect on that human part. The Eternals will also feature a deaf superhero. Okay, I don't care. What's concerning here is that what's disconcerting is that they are promoting the movie based on this. Let me ask you something. I understand. I understand. Movies have, you know, hetero kisses all the time. But it would be weird to me if someone was like, so we do this movie, right? And then like, I kiss Mary Jane. I'd be like, and I, what is that? A, is that a plot point? Like, is, is that why I'm going to see the movie? Is this supposed to be something that's going to get me off? Like, that's not why I'm going to see the movie, dude. I'm going to see the movie because, you know, Spider-Man fights Doc Ock and save this, saves the city. Or I go to see the movie because Wonder Woman defeats the God of War Ares and helps reduce tensions, not stop the war entirely. But that's why I go to see the movie. It's an epic saga depicting a hero's journey. I'm not going because you're telling me you're going to kiss somebody, man or woman. I don't care about that. It's, 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 it's what, two seconds in the movie? Therein lies the big problem. The motivations they set forth are not grand and epic sagas or a hero's journey. They're weird, esoteric, personal moments in people's lives. I'm going to throw it back to Birds of Prey, and I'm going to tell you this right now, Marvel. I hope you are listening. Do not do what they did. By all means, you can create good movies with representation. But Birds of Prey thought they're going to make a film where it's like, I broke up with my boyfriend. That's my motivation. Also, I want an egg sandwich. And uh, the other motivation was like, here's the funny thing. Harley Quinn's like, I broke up with my boyfriend. I need my own life. That was her motivation. I have no, <laughs> I guess some people can relate to that. Sure. Then you had the, the Rosie Perez character, the cop, who's like, he got a promotion when it should have been for me. And now he won't give me assignments. That's so unfair. I'm like, dude, I have no idea why that matters. The best part was the best possible motivation was Huntress that her family was purged in a mafioso hit. And she had like a minute of screen time. It's like, if you made the movie just about her, the stakes would have been cool because it would have been like a samurai revenge film, kind of like John Wick, but you got Harley Quinn in it. 
Instead, they tried making feminist Deadpool and the motivations were so insane. It was trash. Do not make woke films. Just make regular films like you've always done and put characters in it who happen to be diverse. And that's how you will succeed. I'm not super confident, though. Mark Ruffalo seems to have lost the plot on Twitter recently. He says, well, here, let's read a little bit. He says they're going She-Hulk next. No other studio is doing that. I just told you no. They have to, though, he added. This is the effing world. The culture is way ahead of the politics. You are wrong, Mr. Ruffalo. You live in a Twitter bubble. First, I will point out the unfortunate truth. The majority of this country is white. And the majority of people who would go see a superhero movie are going to be white dudes. I went and looked at analytics for news. You know what I found? Typically, when it comes to stories like this, guess who's watching it? Dudes. The 92% of the people who watch my content, dudes. It's not just true for me. Lifestyle, entertainment, health, cooking, all stuff. That's the kind of content women consume when you look at greater aggregates. It's just the way it is. You want to fix it, by all means, try. I don't know why. I just talk about what I feel. And it turns out guys would rather watch this and women would rather not. Although there are 8% of you happen to be female. Congratulations. You found my channel, whoever you may be. The point is, if you're going to make a movie and try and maximize your profits, could you imagine if I was making content and I thought to myself, well, I'm getting the male demographic. If I can get the female demographic, I'll double my views. So I started changing my thoughts and opinions to try and pander to women in an effort to convince them to watch this. What if I started doing like home cooking and lifestyle videos? Well, that's going to attract more women and make me more money. You could. And that's what they end up doing. But what ends up happening then? You lose your core fan base. The challenge here is how do you make a movie that caters to a large demo and makes money? Well, the reality is back in the day, when movies were being made for the overwhelming majority of this country who were white people, those movies made money. They started making bigger and bigger blockbusters and more people now go to movies, but the country is becoming less white. So in my opinion, it does make sense that you're going to now see more diversity. In fact, I want and encourage diversity in these films. But when they come to you and say, we're marketing this movie off of it's a feminist film with a gay kiss, I say, that's not a movie for everybody. That's a movie for a tiny percentage of this country, the same as your, you know, your white male hero story would be argued it's just for white people. Make a movie, make a hero who saves the world, who saves the girl, a woman who saves the guy who saves the world. Make it about an African nation called Wakanda and, and, and include stories of immigration. You can do all of that stuff so long as you just make a good movie telling us an epic story and you don't beat us over the head over, with your ideology. That's been the biggest problem. I'll leave it there. Hopefully Marvel doesn't go the route of DC, but I think we're headed that way and that would suck. Stick around. Next segment's coming up tomorrow at 10 a.m. Podcast every day at 6.30 p.m. And I will see you all next time.